Morning, saints. Morning, Morning sinners. Morning. We may have more sinners here than saints this morning. What's going on? It's all right. We're a hospital, right? We, we, we like to see what God's going to do, how he's going to equip us, what's next. And I want to tell you, after last week's message, there were a couple of things that, that happened after last. Some of you sent me emails. Uh, some of you uh, Facebooked me. Others of you um, sent text. And you really appreciated the fact that I went into Revelation, talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So uh, we're not doing that today. But we are going to go into Revelation, and I will continue to help reveal, right, what the Scriptures say. I think this is very important as a follow-up to last week. The next couple of weeks, I'm going to be in the book of Revelation talking about what makes the difference, the difference maker in churches. Because here's what we have in churches. We have some churches that are led by false prophets and leading many astray. Jesus said that the day would come. The Apostle Paul said that the day would come. Peter really said that the day would come when others will follow those who will tickle their ears. And we talked about those four horsemen of the apocalypse, how the first one on, on this white horse resembles Christ but is not Christ. Christ is found in Revelation 19 on his white horse. This one has a bow but has no arrows. And there will be many who follow just because he tickles their ears and tells the church what they want to hear. He tells the world what they want to hear. So we kind of unpacked that last week. And the danger of all the voices coming at us, in order for us to have 2020 vision for 2020, we've got to pay attention, pay attention to where our attention rests. Remember what gets your attention, gets your direction, and ultimately can get your destination. So church, pay attention. And that's why there are all these voices. That's why there are all these churches. There are so many crying out to you saying, come and follow me for we are the way. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as we fix our eyes upon him, what does the scripture say? He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Our destination will be what it should be. Revelation chapter 2, if you have your Bibles open there, and we'll continue. We're going to look at some of these churches and the strengths that they have and the weaknesses. And if you'll apply some of this personally as well as corporately, you're going to be in, in good shape because you're going to be in the hands of Christ. Revelation 2. To the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, those seven stars are the pastors, okay? The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, those are the seven churches that he is, he is writing letters to. He talks about the messenger, that's the angel, all right? The angel is, is, is talking to John at this time, and this is what happens. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that is Jesus. I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now, up to that point, isn't it a beautiful thing? I mean, Jesus is, is pretty much praising this church. And then he says this, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember the height in which you have fallen, and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, here's the reason that we need to go and investigate these churches. 
Because he who has an ear, let him hear what what the Spirit says to the churches. Outside of the Holy Spirit of God, the church ceases to exist. It is not the real church. We have to be able to hear what the Spirit is calling us to be and to become for the kingdom of God to come to this earth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I love this because what he says is the ones that get to eat from the tree in paradise is who? The ones who overcome. He didn't say, I'm looking to condone sin. I'm looking for you and me to be able to overcome sin. It becomes very important. And and as we study this today, I hope that each one of us takes something from here in our own personal lives and corporately in our church in order to be one that God would commend. We would be called his bride for sure. So here we go. Let's jump in. If we're not careful in 2020, some will follow the wrong horse, as I spoke about, and that it will lead them to the wrong destinations. Look, as individuals, we are called to have 2020 vision for our personal lives, but also for the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. We have a great responsibility, church, to steward the gospel. So what Christ has given to us is his word, the living word in him, right, and the written word. So we have the Logos, which is the living word of Christ, but we also have the Graphi, which is the written word, the scriptures here. And as we study the scriptures, we should steward the scriptures because it's in God's spoken word that there is hope. How will they know if someone doesn't preach to them, right? So we are called to be stewards of the gospel. And and here's the thing. We should not only steward the gospel, but we should have the values that the gospel presents to us. The good news. So when we don't, we have no hope. And look, when we don't steward it, we take hope away from the world. Because Jesus said, if you don't do this, what am I going to do? I'm going to remove your lampstand, which is a light, a light of hope. So let's continue. I would hope that my wife, Allison, right, would have the same vision and values for our family that I have. Now, you young people that aren't married, you 12 and 13-year-olds, I'm just teasing, right? Pay attention to, to who you date and the reason why you date them because the truth is you want the same vision and values, right, for your family, for the next generation. And this is Jesus, We as the bride of Christ should desire his values, his vision for our lives because we are ultimately his bride. Let's keep going. And when we don't have those, his his word, right, our light, if we don't uphold his word, our light burns a little dimmer. And we could actually go out, he could remove that. You don't have to look far to see this happening throughout our country where churches who are no longer established or stewarding his word, their lampstand is being removed. See, the church is the hope for the world, but if the church doesn't steward the gospel, not only does the church lose hope, listen, so does the world. I mean, I say this a lot, but Billy Graham, he says, where is the hope? The hope is in the power of God working in the hearts of people. 
That's where the hope is for this world. That's where the hope is in life. And what he's saying is that hope is found in the church. The church is vital to the world. It's vital to bringing the kingdom of God here on this earth. So what we just read, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You see, here's the thing. If sin is condoned, there will be nothing to overcome. I don't look to, to, here's the thing. In the church, if we were to condone sin, let's just throw open the doors and say, oh my goodness, regardless of what you do, it's your own morality. If you were to do that, what happens, it cheapens the blood of Christ. The ones who inherit paradise, which paradise is found three or four times there in the New Testament, you'll see it when, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and you remember uh, one of those who is hanging there with him, a thief, says, remember me? And Jesus said, truly this day, you will be with me in paradise. You recognize who I am, and you're going to be covered by my blood. The sin of the thief is going to be forgiven. You have now been in the presence of God to such a degree, you would have been able to overcome this sin in your life. Temptation comes to us all, church. But just because there's temptation does not open the door to condone sin. We're all tempted. (laughs) Jesus uh, uh, tells those who were ready to stone the lady, let ye without sin, what? Cast the first stone. John says it this way. If you say you have no sin, you lie and do not practice the truth. We all have temptation. We all have sin. The difference is we are not looking for our sin to be condoned. Here he says, let each of you repent of your sin. And so, so this is very important for the church to steward this well. We are not a place of criticism. We hold everyone in a valuable way. Everyone has temptations. Everyone has sin. But we are looking for the blood of Christ in us and the work of his Holy Spirit to do what? To overpower that sin and those temptations in our life. And when you get one behind you, get ready. Sometimes there's another temptation thrown at you as well. There's been some sins in my life that I had to go to people in the body of Christ and say, I struggle with this. I don't want it condoned. I want to repent and I need help. How did you get through this period in your life? You know, the cool thing about that is when they helped me through it, it's, it's a process of sanctification, of rooting out the things that are of this world and making more room for the spirit to dwell in me to tune my ear more clearly to what the Spirit is saying for me and for the church. And it's the same thing for you. But when we condone sin, we cheapen the blood of Christ, and Jesus will remove that lampstand from among us. The power of God, see, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches, right? So in order to have the power of God, Church, very important. We cannot condone sin. The promises for those who overcome. Those who look what? I've never met an alcoholic. In other words, I'll say this. I've never met an alcoholic ever in my counseling who said, man, I just want you to accept this. This is just who I am. Matter of fact, when I turned 18, this is what I said. I'm going to set my pace, the course in life to become an alcoholic. Watch this. I've never had one say that. Why? They want to be overcomers of that in their life. 
not for it to be condoned because if it's condoned, it leads where? To destruction. So that's the power of the church. And if you take that, that light away, that hope for the world away, the world has no hope. There's four things here in this church that makes it different, the church at Ephesus. Now, let me say, Ephesus is found over in Turkey. Ephesus is a very prominent city, very prominent town, tons of influences. There's a temple there that, that teaches and, and puts out a lot of education at the time of Christ, even beyond Christ at the time here with John there. They're pumping out all of this information. There's, it, it's a very influential city. Lots, is happen, lots of things are happening here, very important place. I mean, they, even the church itself had some prominent, prominent influence in it. The Apostle Paul writes a couple of letters, you know this, to the church at Ephesus. He's, he's spoken there in the temple many times. He has a huge influence in this church. John the Baptist has followers that are in this church. So they understand repentance. They understand the kingdom of God is at hand. You also have Timothy, who's going to later become the senior pastor, heavily influenced by the Apostle Paul in this church at Ephesus. This church had some dy dynamic speakers, some dynamic influence within it. And this church has some great things that are happening within the walls of the church and within the cities as well. Huge influence. And here the Spirit says, hey, I know your deeds. That's the first one I would say. This is the first thing that made a difference in this church. Now, when you think of deeds, you probably think of works. But when you read this really in a Greek text, what you'll see are deeds are really vision and values. I know the vision, the values, the principles by which you live by. You have set them in stone. You have written them in stone. You have said, this is what we were created for, for God's purpose. And this is the way we're going to live. This is how we're going to make disciples who make his ways known. They were defined, a defined mission, a defined vision, defined values. See, these are deeds. This is what makes them different. And, and a church that has no mission a church that has no target is bound to hit it. I say this all the time. You know, for leadership, great leadership, it's not difficult to get everyone going the same direction. It's not difficult to get everyone marching together. What's difficult is getting everyone to hit the same target. Now, we can all, oh, I'm a Christian. I, I got this. Da, 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 da. I'm going to go about it my way. I'm going to go about it my way. I'm going to go about it. Well, what does the church say? The way we have every one of those pastors who, or every one of those men and women who have completed the pastoral class, this is what they know. This is how we weigh Scripture. This is how we weigh what we teach. Number one, Scripture. Number two, tradition. Number three, experience. And number four, reason. You've got to take it through that funnel in order to see where's the truth behind this. It's, it's very, very defined what God wants, and really that's where our deeds come out of. And as we continue to uphold that, what happens is through those deeds, a lot of things are, are defined. We now have a mission statement to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, what to love our neighbor as ourself, connecting upward, connecting inward, and connecting outward to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's very defined. That's what we do here. Those are our deeds, right? Those are our values, Healthy relationships, 
It's a value of ours, right? Hospitality, prayer, love, holding everyone in a valuable way. The word of God, praise and worship, excellence. Those are things in our life, lives that are different make, difference makers. And they're also things of this church that are difference makers. You see, Jesus said, I know your deeds. You guys are defined. You guys are marching. You're looking to hit a target here. The second thing is, is toil. Now, toil in the Greek is, is work. Now, you see toil a handful of times in Scripture. And how do we toil? How do we labor? Some toil in prayer. Man, you get here early on Sunday morning. You go down in the basement, and there's a prayer team in there, and they're going for it. They can sometimes exhaust me with their prayer. You know what I'm saying? They get so, they're so excited, and they're praying on behalf of you. They're praying on behalf of the church. They're praying that, that we, would, we would pour out of this place across the street into the communities, into the Texas panhandle, into the state of Texas, throughout the world that we would have influence. They're toiling. They're laboring because that's their call. You see, now, now as we toil, Jesus tells this church at Ephesus, I know your toil. I know your labors. And you are laboring well. Many have found the one hope of their calling. Now, he's not saying that you do this in order to be saved. What we know about works is we do them because we are saved. This church does a lot of work. There's 90 to 120 servants here every, every Sunday morning. Serving in the back, serving around, serving sentinels it, it, uh, there's so many teams that are happening it takes a lot to function for four five six hundred people it's tough there's a lot of toil and there's a lot of labor that takes place on a sunday morning people are finding the one hope of their calling but they don't do it we don't do it here in order to be saved we do it because we are saved the james says it this way show me your works or show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, we do what we believe. Look, if you believe that eating healthy will make your body function right, you're going to do what you believe. Probably going to discipline yourself in order to eat that way. Obviously, I don't. We do what we believe. If you believe... That the way you're going to portray excellence is to keep your car washed, to make sure your spinners on your car shine brighter than anyone else, right? You're going to do what? You're going to labor. You're going to toil in order to make that happen, to express who you are. They did it with their camels. I talk about camels with spinners all the time. <laughs> Shows excellence, right? It, it's work. It's toil. But we don't work for our salvation. We work because we are saved. See, it's, it's just as... As we are told when Paul writes his letter to the Corinth, he, uh, to the church in Corinth, you know, Paul, Paul says, uh, there is, I'm sorry, he, it's actually Ephesians. He says, Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is all, one, one Lord, one faith, one God. He says it. <laughs> Ephesians 4, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. That's what he says. In other words, you are called with a hope, and that hope is for you to find your calling. And in that calling, you will find life fulfilled. And guess what? It's going to be work. Work is a gift from God. 
And he's telling this church here, you guys work very, very well. Hudson Taylor once said it this way. He said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked God if I might help him do his work through me. St. Augustine put it this way. Pray as though everything depended upon you. Work as though everything depends on you. You see, they worked. And there are many here that work. Some are studying and preparing to teach. Others are toiling in the kitchen back here, in the bathroom. Some tarry in the prayer room. Many people become, become so fixated on what they have to do. And this was the danger of this church, that sometimes we forget the why because we're so busy doing the what. What needs to be done next? And we're going to talk about that in just, just a moment. But the toil here is praised. It is praised. You know, one of the things that comes to me a lot, whether it be other pastors or people around the town, they might say, hey, Curtis, how's your church? That's a dangerous statement. See, the thing about deeds and the thing about work, the thing about toil is this. We steward for a season. It does not belong to me. For someone to say, Curtis, how's your church? That's dangerous if I ever thought it were my church. Because the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And so, so here's the truth. My position, which I hate to even use, should be that of a chief servant. Right? It's the upside-down kingdom. And, and yet at the same time, I'm just serving for a time. The ministry that is here belongs to the Lord. It does not belong to me. And so to ask, how's your church? That's dangerous because if I truly thought it was mine, God is a jealous God is what the scripture says. And you put yourself out there at risk then. He might just smote you. I've seen it happen to pastors. It's a dangerous place to be. Woe be it to the man who comes between Christ and his bride. That's dangerous. And let me just summarize and, and stop there on toil labor for just a moment because this is, this is important. Your ministry is not your ministry. Let me say that again. Your ministry, your calling is yours, but the ministry belongs to the Lord. And ministry doors are opened so that we have the opportunity to serve in our calling and to become territorial to the place where you are pushing away is an antithesis to what God intended. In other words, here's how it should look. We should engage, we should equip, and we should empower for the ministries that God has given us. So we can't be territorial. How many of us have grown up in churches where somebody confronts you and says, this is my kitchen? Don't you leave, don't you leave dishes in my kitchen sink. And you shouldn't if it's at the church. I'll have to wash them. I'm just saying people become territorial. What about over in the children's? That's my ministry. That's my class. Those fifth and said, don't you touch them. Who put that on my wall? Who put that on my wall? Now listen, one of our things, one of our deeds here is excellence. And we want to make sure that whoever serves understands our vision and values to make disciples. That is true. But when we come, become territorial, in any ministry thinking it's ours, it is dangerous because it does not belong to us. It is a gift to us to serve in the kingdom and for the kingdom of God. Number three, perseverance. 
Well, we got to move if we're going to beat the Baptist. Perseverance. I know your perseverance, that you're willing to run the race that is set before you. It's very important to the Christian walk. The Apostle Paul talks about perseverance. He talks about finishing the race, right? The old saying is true. Either you are going into a storm in the midst of a storm or coming out of one. You must persevere. It's not about getting burned in the fires of life, but being refined through them, understanding that as the disciples were told by Jesus to get in the boat, we must go to the other side. He didn't tell them about the storm that they were going to go through to get to the other side. Jesus just said, we will go to the other side. And in the midst of going, what happens? A squall is what the scripture says, falls out on the boat. A huge storm, and Jesus is asleep in the stern of the ship. And some of us, even this morning, feel like that Jesus is asleep in our storm. Does he hear us? Does he see us? And we forget that he's already told us by his word, in his word, that we're going to the other side. He was still on the ship with them. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm going to take you to a place of paradise You're in the best place, maybe not the safest place, but the best, the only place to be. But you've got to persevere to make it. They could have bailed out of the ship, but they didn't. They woke him up, and they were more impressed with him commanding the wind and the waves to stop than they were what? Of remembering, he said, we're going to the other side. Where's your faith? You see, we've got to persevere. Some of you have persevered here. Eight and a half years ago, we'd be meeting in a house this morning. Mm-hmm. Hoping that Jack would cook steaks when we were done. You know what it is to have eight people in there and to take an offering? Try that one. And there were times I said, Lord, I don't even think you were in my message. I mean, I, what am I doing? What are you doing, God? But God would want me to know, just persevere. From there, we would go to the country barn, and there were 20 people finally show up at the country barn. From there, we would go to a 3,000-square-foot building on I-27. And some of us gave our last savings for this building that we're in today, but we're called to persevere. There have been ups and downs, but you have persevered. And if we can continue in the vision, there's a 1,000-seat auditorium one day that awaits not for you, but for those yet to come. And hear the truth of the word of God in their own lives. You see, he says, you have persevered and endured for my name's sake. Church, this is important. I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm going to give you something this morning. For my name's sake means the next generation. I named my son long before he was ever born. I said, his name is going to be my namesake. Wade. My name's Curtis Wade. So I, I, I told Allison when she got pregnant, which happened many times, but this time, I told her this. I said, Allison, I said, it's going to be a boy and his name's Wade. I never, I never wavered from that. I knew it. My namesake, the next generation. So when Jesus says you have endured, you have persevered for my name's sake, it means that you are setting something up not just for you, but you're thinking beyond yourself for the next generation, which is so vital for your namesake, for Christ's namesake. The next generation is going to get this. 
what do you do today for the next generation? How do you serve the next generation? What are we teaching to the next generation? You see, we are called to pass on Jesus, his vision, his values, the target that he set before us to paint it clearly for them. And the last and final thing is healthy relationships. And you may say, I didn't see that in there. I get your deeds, your toils, your perseverance, but he didn't say healthy relationships. He did. Verse 4, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. You didn't lose it. If you lose something, it's not by choice. If you leave something, it's by choice. <laughs> I just told Bethany while we are singing worship, I lost my phone. I don't know where, have you seen my phone? You know what it is for a pastor to lose his phone? It's like, I can't even tell you. Now, all of you are going to be texting and calling it and whatever, and it's probably going to ring somewhere. But I'm just telling you, that was not my choice. When I lose my keys, it's not my choice. When I leave something, I've made a choice. And I believe what happened to the church at Ephesus was this. The choice came along gradually as they were highly educated, as they were an influential people, and the church was influencing its culture. Sometime, at some point in time, they forgot. They forgot why we do what we do. We can never lose sight of Jesus Christ. No matter how educated, no matter how we feel, we can't lose sight of that relationship. That's why our mission statement comes from the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First John, that you heard quoted today by J.R., what did he say? God first loved us so that we could what? Love one another. If you break this one, you're liable to break this one. To, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to connect upward, right? And then to love your neighbor as, you, as yourself, to connect inward so that we can connect outward. True love is only found in the one who is defined as love in Scripture, and that's God. And by the way, don't let culture define your love for you. It's a huge caution. Culture says, oh, you got to love. Love is acceptance. No, that's not what God said. He disciplines those whom he loves. He puts borders, boundaries for our protection, for our good. So important, healthy relationships. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They didn't lose their first love. They left it. They got so busy doing, they missed the why behind the what. Our relationship with Jesus cannot be substituted through works or anything else. When, when, when you break your relationship with Christ, oftentimes what happens is we become self-centered instead of Christ-centered. Relationships will definitely suffer. And this is where statements like, I don't need the church to get to heaven come from. Me and my God, we got it all figured out. I don't need you, I don't need a building, I don't need each other, I don't need life groups, I don't need connection. Look, when you disconnect from this, you disconnect from one another. If Jesus did not plan for us to be together, church, many of us simply have a relationship through Christ, that's it, that's how I know you. But if he did not determine for us to be together, for his kingdom to come, he would have never had the church. I mean, he's the one that looks at Peter. And, and, and Peter, you are the rocket which I, I, meaning Jesus, will build my church, Ecclesia, one stacked upon another together to accomplish his purpose throughout the earth. 
We are called to connect upward, to connect inward, and to connect outward. And when we break the upward, we will disconnect outward. I'm just telling you, it's dangerous. See, this is why life groups are established here. Wednesday nights provide an opportunity for more relationship. You know, what God is looking for are those who would disciple and define love in the way that he does so that we can connect in a more intimate way. Not the way the world does, but to invite those in the world to come in and experience a deep, rich relationship with our Lord and Savior. Now, you, uh, he goes on to say this. He says, verse 6, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Let me say this, that that's a form of disconnection as well. I have this for you. You do this well is what he's saying. You hate, which are strong words, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Here's why. Because the Nicolaitans break relationship. And you may wonder who they are. You can read several commentaries and get several different answers. If you just break it down in the Greek and the Latin, here's what you get. Nikao is ruler of in the Greek. Laetan, all right, is, is Latin. And the root word in Laetan is what? Laity. So what you have is ruler of the laity. In other words, I'm clergy, a bunch of sinners, a bunch of trough-eaten and you know, I mean, you see how it can happen. Oh, wait a second. I'm a pastor. Now I'm a senior pastor. Now I'm going on up. I'm, I'm a bishop. <clears throat> I'm a district superintendent. I'm a bishop. Uh, you know, heaven forbid, pope, right? I mean, we, we put these rulers in our lives, and here's the truth. Jesus never wanted that to happen because that breaks relationship. I am a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. As a matter of fact, I was an evangelist, and then after some years of being an evangelist, God made me a preacher, and I was like, wow, I'm a preacher. I'm pastoring and preaching a church, and today I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. I don't know how it happens. Seasons change. But that's who we are. That's who I am today. Now, here's the truth. I am of no more value to God than you are. As a matter of fact, my value is not seen in accomplishments by God. My value is seen is whether or not I will serve. In Mark chapter 10, there's a very important story that happens there where the disciples come to Jesus, and, and Jesus explains, I'm about to be crucified. They're going to spit on me. They're going to pull my beard out, all these things. And, and the disciples, two of them don't even hear that. They ask him the question, but hey, will you do this for us? And he said, what is it that, that you ask? And he said, well, we would like that one of us sit on your left and your right when you enter into the kingdom. When you come into paradise, I want everybody to see, hey, this guy's our best. We're his besties. And Jesus asked him a question, are you willing to drink the cup of which I will drink? Yes, and he said, you will drink it. He said, but that one, that's not mine to give. And he said, you're missing the point. The greatest among you will be what? The servant of all. Church, it's important that we hear that. Because there is no hierarchy in God's kingdom. We are in this together, all of us working. The elders here are not here to lord over you. They are called to smell like sheep. Because ultimately we are all the sheep. That is the truth. What we learn and develop is a servant's heart. I can serve you through my gift of teaching and preaching. How can you serve others? How can we serve others? 
right? That's, that's the upside-down kingdom. But that is what God would want us to understand because as we serve, watch, no one who has been served in a godly way wants to break that relationship. If you have a godly husband, a godly wife, and they serve you, you're like, man, I love this person. A godly servant is, is incredible and impacts the world for the kingdom of God. So here's the thing. There are four points, and we've got to, got to move. But I want you to know it's a terrible thing when a lampstand for Jesus is taken away because that's, that's what we risk at losing the church. You see, this message isn't just corporate. It's also individual. So I ask you today, church, what are your deeds for Christ, your toil, your perseverance, your relationship? Are you guilty of these things in a positive way? Is Jesus first in your life and first in the life of the church? If he's not, he gives us a way back right here. Therefore, remember the height in which you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. So I like to say this. Here's your application if this is not you. Remember, repent, repeat. Remember, repent, repeat. It's, I love it when there's an application for this church. This is how you, this is how you get your first love back. It's not, it's not lost. It's just left, and this is how you come back. Remember how it first was. Oh, I accepted Jesus. I actually hugged my sister when I was 13 years old at church camp because I accepted Jesus there. And I was crying. I was like, oh, God did something with me. And my sister's there, and he did something with her. And I can hug you now. But I strayed. And I went in the military, and I strayed even further. And, and I, I was right down the street at Midnight Rodeo one night, got kicked out of Midnight Rodeo, wound up going home with or going back to my apartment given a ride by a girl who I worked for her dad for seven years she's like a sister to me and she was dropping me off and she said Curtis what is it that you want in life I said I don't know but I, this is not it I said I wished I could go on a mission trip I wished I could get my fire back and it was and, and I know she was like I think he's crazy but I stepped out and I shut the door and I walked and went into my apartment, and I said, Lord, I, I, just, I just wish something would happen. I sat down on my bed, and my phone started ringing. One o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. Maybe it was earlier than that. And I listened to the message. I didn't pick it up. But the message was from a girl named Coloma. She was my physics study partner at WT. And she goes, Curtis, we have a mission trip coming up. It was the very same night I said it out of nowhere. We have a mission trip coming up, and since you're old, you're over 25, you could drive one of the buses. <laughs> and so I ran in there, and I called her right back, and I said, Coloma, man, I need that. And I went on that mission trip, and my fire got lit again, and I remembered, this is my second innocence. Jesus has given me a second innocence, an opportunity to be led by his Spirit to have ears attuned to him. This is the one hope of my call. I remember. And a lot of times I still today have to go back and remember. Repent. Let me tell you about repentance. Repentance, we've always said, well, if you're going this way, it means turn around and go this way. Well, the truth is it comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change one's mind. Here's why people don't repent. They're too prideful to learn. It's the number one reason people don't already know it. I know Jesus. I don't read his word. I know him. They don't repent. Part of repentance, if metanoia means to change one's mind, here's what happened as our mind changes, what happens? 
our actions change. When we are willing to learn, we are humble, church. It takes a humble person to be willing to learn from others, to learn from God's word. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we must learn. And finally, the last one. Repeat, go back and do the things you did at first. Man, when I got on fire for the Lord, I was excited, church. Woo! I mean, let's go. Let's, let's evangelize. Let's tell everybody about Jesus. Let's have them be covered by his blood. Let's have them, too, walk in a second innocence, a new birth, a new chance, a new outlook in life where you are led by the Spirit and not of the flesh. An incredible thing. And, and sometimes we just need to remember, repent, and repeat what we did at first. Man, Jesus, you're so good. You're so gracious. And that's what he tells this church. Hey, he tells us personally in church. He tells us corporately. Here's your target. Let's hit that one. And your lampstand will burn brighter and affect more. And your influence will go throughout the world, bringing my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven.